theyeshiva.net. If you're shyich to emas, it makes you feel worse every day you go by. <laughs> if it completely hijacks you, then you don't. They say there's one of in order to be happy in life, you have to choose between one of two things: either have a clear conscience or have no conscience. If you have no conscience, you're good. <laughs> if you have a clear conscience, you're good. The problem is, the problem is in the middle. So if a person is hijacked by a lie, then they'll feel better. Because that's part of the lie. You understand what I'm saying? What I was saying yesterday is that when a person is sensitive and aware and alert, as time will go by and they will become stronger and wiser and more sober and more mature and more open and more real, truth will grow on them and falsehood will it will fizzle out. It will prove to be ineffective. That's how it is. Sheker Einler Daglayim. It's the nature of reality. Reality is real. Reality always prevails because what is real prevails. Christianity. Well, first of all, it's based on a true story. Second of all, the Rambam and Hilchis Malachim, Perik Yud Aleph, the end of the Rambam, most of the Rambams that was taken out because the Rambams that were published in European countries went under censorship. But the Rambams that were published in, uh, Rambam was published in Yemen, over there, that's how we have it. So he says that Christianity and Islam, the Rambam writes as Christianity and Islam are liyasher derech lamelech Mashiach. That's his words. They prepare the path for Mashiach. Why? Because they introduced monotheism to the world. They introduced the concept of a creator, of morality, of responsibility, of, of mutual uh, connection between people. So even though he says, he writes there, Muhammad HaMashugan, he calls Muhammad HaMashugan, <laughs> and, uh, and Yeshu, Yashka, he says, even though so much uh, violence and war and bloodshed came, and who knew well, who knew better than the Rambam? The Rambam suffered a lot from the Almohads, radical Muslims in his time. You know, he had to escape Spain because of the Almohads. Almohad is a combination of two words, Elokim Chad. Chad. This was a radical group that uh, the leader had a vision of Muhammad that first 500 years of Islam, you can tolerate Jews and infidels. After that, it's either they convert or they're dead. So wherever they conquered, whatever they conquered, they gave a choice to the Jews, and including Spain. So the Rambam and his family, the Rambam was still a child, a youngster. He had to escape. And it left a tremendous impact. So despite all of the flaws and behaviors and the pain, the Rambam says still, it also serves a purpose, a very positive purpose. Could look Hilchis Malachim Perik Yedalef. The laws of Kings chapter eleven, but you have to find the Rambam that was not um, affected by the censor. Today already in the English translations, most of them put it in, but the regular Mishnah Torah that was published in Europe doesn't have it. It's from Rambam Tfus Taimon, the Yemenite, the Yemenite prince. That too. That too. That's another component. And also, till, till, that's what I said yesterday, what Mashiach is. Mashiach is the natural evolution of reality, where truth emerges. It's not a separate reality. It's not like a, some new world order that's imposed on the world. On the contrary, it's the removal of all the blockages. But till that point, what does Golos mean? Golos, first and, f- first and foremost, means that the truth is an exile. You say, Golis is we're in exile. The first thing of Golis is truth is in exile. That's what it means. When truth is in exile, it's manifested in many different ways. But that's the first thing. There's an expression in Zoyar, Shechinte Begalusa. The Shechin is in Golis. What does that mean? Somebody put chains on Hashem. It means that truth is in exile. 
truth is blocked. When truth is in exile, it's abducted, it's hijacked, it's manipulated, it's exploited. Like when a person is in exile, when you're in prison, you can't flex your muscles, you can't do what you want, you have to be your captive to the, to, the, to the person who prisoned you. And I don't mean physical prison necessarily. It could be an emotional prison, right? Many, a person could live their whole life and I'm in an emotional prison. Emotional prison means I don't even know who I am. My truth is completely in exile. So how do we sum up yesterday's class? The paradox of creation. The paradox of creation, right? As he put it here, Yesh Bozeployus, in the paradox of creation, Yesh Bozeployus, it's, it's a stupendous paradox. What's the paradox? When divine energy becomes reduced to the point of visibility, which is called matter. Matter, chaymer, yesh. It's all divine, it's divine infinity reduced to the point of visibility. Or in the language that we use, yesh me'ayin. That's the ultimate paradox. Why is it the ultimate paradox? Because if the source would be manifested and revealed, it wouldn't be reduced to visibility. (laughs) It's not finite, it's infinite. That's the world. On the other hand, if the source would be absent even for a moment... Nothing could exist. Whole existence is divine energy. Yesh and recreated every moment. That paradox mm-hmm. of how real and not real the yesh is at the same time is the incredible reality of yesh And that's why so many people are not sure if they exist or not. Welcome to the paradox. And the more sensitive you are, it's not like you get rid of the paradox. The more sensitive you are, the more you feel the paradox. Right? You're sometimes jealous of people who feel they exist, no? You know what I'm talking about? I exist. The Ibn Achman of Breslov once said, it says in the end of the Torah, Moshe says, Mitachas Royas Oilam. So Nachman says, under the world, under the planet, beneath the earth, there are arms. Mitachas. Under the world, is there's arms. People who feel that they're falling off the planet, you should know that you're falling into arms. Mitachas is royas But here's the paradox. Somebody who feels good footing on the planet, they're grounded, they'll never feel the arms. Somebody who feels like they're falling off earth, there's arms to contain you. So the paradox of creation is a very deep one. The yesh is so real. Of course it's real. That's what the world is. Yesh me ayin. And, and the ayin is, is not cons- is completely eclipsed in that sense, allowing the yesh to be. And yet the very reality of the yesh is the ayin. As explained at length, you could watch the replay or listen to it, double speed if you want. Or triple speed, if that works. And uh, unlike Ilova'al, that was the main, the main discussion that we discussed and elaborated. Let's not go further. We're up to Reish Hay, the end of Sifyut Beis. A few, a few lines before the end of chapter 12. The line starts, La'olam Hashem Dvarcha Nitzav Bashamayim, Unakudas Inyan Yeshmeayim Mechayev Shnehem. He's talking about here that there's two processes, there's two streams, there's two paths in Avedis Hashem. One is very much focused on Simcha, the positivity that comes from knowing the closeness and seeing the positive in yourself and in the world and understanding your intimacy with Hashem at every single moment. Knowing that you matter and appreciating the depth of reality. Says, Oi, there is the contemplation in the Bria, in creation and what it represents. There's no such a thing that you should think you're separate, you need to create a relationship, you're abandoned, because every single moment, every single moment, the definition of my existence is 
that Hashem is, is, is speaking me into existence, is thinking me into existence. There was a philosopher who used to say, I, uh, Descartes, I think, therefore I am, right? I think, therefore I am. So here you would define it this way. God thinks, therefore I am. Or God speaks, therefore I am. So the very, like we spoke about the daydream, the very definition of a person's reality is the intimate recreation every single moment by Hashem. So it's not a miracle that happened 57, 82 years ago. But it's, 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 it's happening every single moment in a person's life. It's not just in a person's life. That is the person's life. Oy, there's another element. There's a hisbainanus in the gdulas and the exaltedness and the infinity of the ein soif itself. Like we say in Ashra. The infinity has no inquiry, can't inquire, it's beyond inquiry. But all of this requires real depth, real meditation. A person should really be able to tune in until it gets absorbed. Says it in Yiddish. The richness of elikus should shine in your soul. In other words, this is very edel. There's a hisbeinenus where a person taka tunes in to the point that the, the vibe of divinity can be present in a person's consciousness. He says in Yiddish, the Reichkeit, Reichkeit is richness. It doesn't mean here the physical uh, currency, but the Reichkeit in Yiddish means the, the majesty, the richness, the truth of it. The truth of it. The experience of infinity. Once you experience on some level the infinity of existence, everything is different. You know, fundamentally, that's the question. Fundamentally, the question is, like Einstein once said, either nothing is a miracle or everything is a miracle. You know, that's the fun. Either nothing is a miracle. Or there's another side, and that is everything is a miracle. So that's the first point. Yesh Then he says, there is not just talking about the Bria, but really tuning in to, to the truth of Elikos, to the Reichkeit. The Reichkeit is the richness. It's the best way to describe it because... That, that appreciation, that sensitivity, that at the core of everything is infinity. At the core of everything is real consciousness. At the core of everything is love, infinite love. That's a very rich form of awareness. But it's something that has to happen within. It's a, it's a personal journey. It's not preaching. You can't give a sermon, pontificate, a lecture. He says, this is a very personal journey till it becomes absorbed in my soul. Fundamentally, when you look at yourself and at the universe, what do you sense? What are you, what are you experiencing? Do you experience an underlying randomness and chaos? Which makes sense, by the way. <laughs> As your grandmother would say, Sam is and she had a reason for saying that. And 2022, right? That's if you're reading the news and you're on WhatsApp too much. Besides my clips, but besides that. As well. Yeah. One's home as well can also be chaotic. <laughs> yeah. Or fundamentally, you can just be sensitive to the fact that there is, there is a spiritual organism, there is a spiritual underlying ain't safe at the core of everything. And that doesn't eliminate, it doesn't mean you're naive, doesn't mean you're in la-la land, doesn't mean you don't have to pay taxes or tuition. <laughs> It doesn't mean the wedding doesn't cost money. And the caterer is not going to charge you. He probably will charge you. And if you believe in Ain't Saif, he may charge you a little more. Because, you know, Ain't Saif is paying, right? The Reichkeit. The Reichkeit. <laughs> Very good. But what it means is that there's, there's you, you, you're, you're just aware of the fact that I was conceived in love. And the world was conceived in love. And not just love, but infinite love. That's the, 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 there's the richness of Elikus itself. The richness of Elikus is not the richness of what it does to me, the blessings I get. That's something else. The richness of Elikus is just the Reichkeit of Elikus itself. 
You know, when you marvel at the richness of something, the edelkeit, the fineness of it, there's no corruption, there's no politics, right? There's no mediocrity, there's no conformity. The reichet von alakuz means the reichet von einsef. The has was azukt. Huh? After you learn chesidus for a while, you want to be able to relate to this. Just the reichet of alakuz, the richness of something called alakuz. It says, that's a hisbein in us. V'oz yismach benafshay ma'oid. Shazau inyan simchas hanefesh ba'ashem oisa. And the result is the ecstasy of the soul in the God who made it. Simchas hanefesh ba'ashem oisa. What an expression. The simcha of the soul in Hashem who made the soul. In other words, it's the soul celebrating itself, its own, its own core, its own creator, its own former. Somebody once said about somebody, he's a self-made man and he worships his creator. Simchas hanefesh ba'ashem oisa is the, is the antithesis of that. It's the simchas hanefesh Ba'ashem oisa and the Hashem who made it. The nefesh senses it, the soul senses it. V'yidvak nafshe belekus b'dveke chasheke v'nefesh shekeke. If you notice here, this is not a dvekus in Hashem because I want to get rewards, because I'm afraid of punishments, I don't want to go to purgatory. That's all, that's all different states of consciousness, but that's not what we're talking here. We're talking here the celebration of, of, of truth, the celebration of life itself. The soul is drawn to its maker. The soul is drawn to, to truth. And the truth is infinity. The truth is ain't safe. I don't know if I'm articulating myself well, but I hope you uh, are sensitive to what, what's going on here. Huh? What's exactly this expression? It's very poetic. It's extremely poetic. Dveka v'nefesh shekeka. Dveka is cleaving, oneness. Chasheka is intense desire. Nefesh is a... Nefesh uh, A longing soul, a pining soul, an aspiring soul. You want to know where these words actually come from? <laughs> they come from the story of Shechem. <laughs> it says in Medrash that the most intense expressions of love come from the story of Shechem. If you ever read through the story of Shechem in Parshas Vayishlach, right, no other relationship in Tanakh is described in such poetic, intense language, employing so many, so many uh, uh, words representing passion like the story of Shechem. The Medrash says this. With Dina. You'll see all these expressions over there. Tveika, Chasheika, Chafeitza. The This is generally the avoider that's filled with love. What does love mean here? It's called dvekas. It's the soul connected and intimate and recelebrating Hashem. And he says the example is when a lover, an oyev, just celebrates the ov, the beloved one. What does that look like? What does real love look like? You know, not all of us have that experience. You know, can you really feel in your bones what it feels like to be loved? You're right, the, the, the recreation of the world, if a person is in pain, you're saying that pain is recreated. So now you're asking, you know, the, the question of all questions, Right? How does all of this uh, fit with pain and suffering and agony and and uh, and abuse? So, you know, I'm just going to say one thing about it, and that is, infinity means first and foremost that I can't wrap my brain around it. That's the first thing to remember. In other words, when we try to wrap our brain around things that we can't wrap our brain around, one of two things happens. Either we just come out frustrated because I can't, or I think I could, and I reduce the reality to something very small that fits into my brain, which ultimately is also frustrating because it's not the reality. 
The first thing about infinity is there's also a certain awe. And the awe is the awe of mystery. It's something really that I can't, I can't fit it. I can't fit into my box. Yeah, it's the ultimate ayin. It's the ultimate ayin. Ayin is nothing, right? What is really, what is really ayin? Like I always say, no thing. It's not a thing. A thing I can look at, I can talk about, I can try to talk about it to one degree or another. No thingness, ayin, I can't wrap my brain around. And the challenges of life are part of that. So yeah, when I'm recreated every moment, I'm not just recreated every moment, you know, with endless bliss. I'm recreated every moment with, with challenges to a different degree. And some people, as we know, are dealing with serious things. If God is recreating the world every moment, so not only is he part of it, he's responsible also for it, right? And that's where the person, we, we really, we have a temptation, I want to understand, I want to wrap my brain around it, I want to, I want it to fit in to my picture. Part of the understanding of Ayin is, I can't fit it into my picture. My picture has to completely expand. And when, when we try to, you know, it's, a, it's, it's try to, trying to force the square into the circle. You know what I mean? <laughs> What's going to happen? People do it. What's going to happen? <laughs> I need to force it. Either you'll get frustrated and so annoyed and even more angry, or you're going to end up with something that has nothing to do with the square. You're ending up with a reality that's convoluted. And sometimes people do that to God. You'll forgive me. They turn Hashem into the creature that they could make sense of, and they completely detach now from reality, from their own reality, because they're detached from Ein Saif. You understand what I'm saying? And I'll tell you another consequence. People lose touch with their emotions. Because in order to make sense out of reality, I create some type of convoluted understanding of how everything is blissful, completely disconnected from the truth of my reality. And I could become like, um, I don't know what the right word is. Uh, I'm like, I'm not myself anymore. It's, it's not that necessarily delusional, but it's like, I have to shut down real parts of myself. Like sometimes in the name of a munah and betachen, right? A person doesn't allow themselves to experience what they're experiencing because if I had a munah, I'm supposed to smile. Why am I crying, right? I'm sure some of you heard that. If you have a munah, why are you crying? You should be happy. And we have a hundred stories, you know, about the Chava and the Rebbe of Melech and the Rebbe of Zushan, the Alta Belzeruf and the Apteruf and the Rebbe Kivagin. You know, there's a hundred stories. Right. And I feel this guilt. Well, well, what, what happened? Why am I not Rabbi Akiva? Why am I not Chemish Gamzu? Yeah, but I, so I force, I force it. So I'm going to smile and it's good and it's good and it's good. Gamzu Latoiv is true. Enoid Movadi is true. But the question is, how is it integrated with me? Ye- yesh Meyayin is also true. <laughs> right? The Chazal knew Gamzu Latoiv, but they didn't say that Tishabov should be like Purim. So instead of sitting on, a, on, a, on, a, on the floor, on the box, right? We should throw a party on Tishabov. Even though it's true, it says when Mashiach comes, it's going to be the biggest Yamtuf. So instead of people sitting shiva, they should be dancing. Somebody wrote to me a whole email. Right? The Mishnah says to thank Hashem for misfortune like you thank Him for fortune. So the person writes to me, this delegitimizes every class that you give where you talk about people's experiences. <laughs> Look, Chazal didn't believe in that. Everything is good. So I wrote back, I said, I have one question. The Mishnah says, Chayev Adam Levarich Al Hara. That's real heresy. There's no raw. Chayev Adam to say that there's no evil. What do they say? Levarich Al Harak, Levarich Al Ataiva. Ooh, ooh, They are acknowledging that something bad happened, right? If not, you're not calling it raw. It's a very subtle thing. And Muna doesn't mean that I have to fit everything into my box. 
and, and if it's not fitting in, I'm going I'm to force it into the box. And then what happens is your, my relationship with God becomes somewhat fake or very superficial or a part of myself shuts down completely. And, 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 and I know it. But I'm, I have to have a muna. And that backfires so badly. And we suffer from it because it creates a different type of trauma. I think a much, it's very sensitive stuff this, but I think a much, much more authentic way of understanding is in the presence of infinity, I have to sense the mystery, the magnitude of it, which is beyond me. I don't, I don't, I can't fit it in. I know why this child is suffering. I know why I had to go through this. I know why this is happening to this person. You don't know anything and I don't know anything. Can I open myself up to the pain without trying to convolute it, manipulate it, exploit it, put it into this plane rationally? Just be fully present to what's happening with everything that comes with it. And you know what's going to happen? As you sit with it in a very authentic way, in that reality itself is Hashem. You're somehow going to become connected to something infinite. Not because it becomes intellectually rational and explained. The gamzul etoive emunem betochen is never about manipulating emotions or substituting your reality and forcing upon it another reality. It's always integrated. It's understanding that in this very reality there's much more than what's my, what meets my eye and what meets my brain. And I don't have to wrap my brain around it. I could remain open and fully present. Your type is what I'm saying. Of course, if I could change the pain, I want to change it. It's not a mitzvah to live in pain, right? But not everything I could change right now. So the word accept the pain means... I have to accept the fact that right now this is my journey and this is my experience and it's genuine. And it comes with a lot. It comes with a lot of tears. It comes with a lot of grief. Grief work is not heresy. (laughs) Grief work is very real. Grief work is paying tribute and respecting the fact that you're a human being and you experience loss. That's not heresy. That's, that's very human, that's real, that's authentic. In many ways, that's divine. Grief work is, if I had a dream, and the dream was shattered, from, in one form or another. It's, you know, grief is not always death. Grief is death of dreams, right? A person was married, and the marriage falls apart. There's grief. You have to grieve. You had certain imagination of how your child is going to come out, and it's shattered. It's grief. You're not going to get closer to God by running away from it. On the contrary, running away from it is also running away from infinity because right here in the pain, there is infinite depth and meaning and love. I don't understand. So if that's fine, I don't have to understand. By not forcing myself to have to capture it and comprehend it and grasp it and make peace with it, I can actually be much more connected to the God's to the God that is present here. You can have much deeper emunah. You understand what I'm saying? Because I don't, I don't have to reduce him to my understanding of reality. And now I have a list and an encyclopedia and I could put my life into the puzzle and everything works out and even the worst things. Look how beautiful my puzzle is. You know what? That puzzle is as beautiful as the, these few seconds. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, this is not a puzzle. Makes sense what I'm saying. Right. You're, you're saying something very insightful. When our trust has been damaged, I can't sit without knowing because I'm, I always have to protect myself. You're right. And part of protecting myself is I have to know what's coming and I have to expect what's coming. Sitting in mystery is a, is a form of trust. It is. If you read Tehillim, in English, meaning if you read Tilim and you understand it, you'll see how David Amelech never ever minimizes his emotions, cuts down his feelings, amputates his experiences, makes believe everything is rosy. Never. Read through Tehillim. 
and you'll see the depth of his pain and agony constantly, nonstop, the whole Tehillim. And yet, his relationship with Hashem is so real, it's so powerful. It's not a contradiction, it's because of that. Because there's not a part of him that he's afraid of. He's not afraid of, he doesn't need God to fit into anything. Whatever emotion I'm experiencing right now, that is my journey right now. And only from there and in there will I gain more perspective and more maturity and more awareness and more growth. And Muna doesn't mean that God is good and therefore everything is good and your feelings are stupid because you're always stupid. That's very weak, Amunah. <laughs> Again, it puts God into a box. Amunah means that part, what I'm experiencing right now is, has also meaning. I may not know what it is. That's fine. It's my journey. You understand? It's much deeper, Amunah. <laughs> it means that you can accept that Hashem is taka'ein saif. Uh, there are Jews that live in a level of infinity where they take, don't experience anything negative. You have such people. You have the story with Rebzu Shavah, Nepali. You know the story, yeah? Somebody came to the Magad and he asked him, how could you be thankful for negativity? So he says, go to Rebzusha. So he goes to Rebzusha. He's there for a few days. Rebzusha was terribly poverty-stricken. And he had a lot of tsaris. And he stays there for a few days. Rebzusha says, what's going on? What brings you? He says, the Magad sent me to you to find out how to deal with negativity, how to be thankful, how to be grateful. So he said, you must have misheard my name. I don't think he said my name. He said, why? He said, I never had a bad day in my life. Why did he never have a bad day in his life? Because for the Bzush of Anipoli, the definition of life was a relationship with Hashem. So why would he have a bad day? <laughs> if the definition of life is a relationship, is dvekas, so there's no day that you don't have dvekas. Sometimes the roller coaster is going up, it's going down. Sometimes the Ferris wheel stops sometimes. You ever went on a Ferris wheel? Sometimes it stops for a couple of hours, right? And every Jew is doing vidui. Shema Yisrael taking his last pictures, writing his tzava, and the guy are taking pictures. Life has journeys, but for the Bzush, the definition of life was a relationship with Hashem, so why would he have a bad day? But not everybody is in that state of consciousness, right? And if I'm feeling pain... That is also part of my relationship. That's also part of Amuna. Yutoifus, Yahrib Yosef. Called David Rahman Latavavid. Different level. It's not dealing, we're talking now about authenticity. Right. Right. So, but you, I can't deal with pain by giving a lecture to pain. Even Rabbi YY's lectures, yeah, pain is not always impressed. It's not about a lecture. It's about an authentic experience. Listen, Rabbi Yosef, I... Listen, in this topic, the only questions I can deal with are questions from experience, not from the brain. So, so ask your question from experience, not from the brain. Shut down your brain. Could you do that? Okay. Visceral, the nervous system has to ask this. Instinctively, you say, "Oh my gosh, it's Yeah. It's that. You believe in Hashem, you know. It doesn't right, good. right. Okay, but there's but there's pain. That's it. That's it. I'm saying. <laughs> Sometimes people feel that if they have real amuna, they should just be blissful. Okay, you never heard that. Fine. Fine. You had a good Rosh Hashiva. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Gamzula Taiva, you Rosh Hashiva. So you have a good mother. Even better. Don't argue with that. She may be listening. Well, they felt, they felt this was their growth. You know, this was their spiritual workout, so to speak. No, because in Tanya chapter 26, the Balatanya says that pain comes from Almadis Kasir. And that which feels good comes from Almadiz Galia. Which means, it, whenever infinity comes into my life, it shatters the system. You understand what I'm saying? 
It's not a comfortable idea, but this is the truth. If I look at the sun, it's going to be blinding. Not because there's no light, because it's too much light. I need to access the light through filters. When divine energy comes through filters and filters and filters, it feels good. When divine energy comes raw, it can shatter my system because it's, inf- it's infinite. So what I'm calling pain is really a deeper expression of divine intimacy. But it, it, it hurts. I'll give another example. It says, right? We say every morning. Chayshech is inferior to light. But Yoytzer is Yitzira. Boire is Bria. So the darkness is higher than light? Yes, because there's two forms of darkness. There's dark, real darkness is, is deeper than light. That's why it's dark. I'll give you an example. There's two types of classes. Yeah, There's two types of shiurim. One shiur, there's three types. One is, okay, you know, you know the joke, right? There was a professor of physics and he considered himself a world-renowned genius. And he once went to China to lecture on quantum physics. So they had to translate it, to translate into Mandarin. So he told the person, after every 20 seconds, I'll stop and you'll translate. After 20 seconds, the translator motions that he should continue. Hilltop went to stop. After 15 minutes, he says, stop. And he gives a translation, one sentence. The next 15 minutes, again, stop, another sentence. And so he did this four times till the lecture was over after an hour. So the professor went over to him and said, you must be a genius. You took my creativity and you compressed it in a few sentences. I wish you could be my student. He says, no, it was very simple what I did. He says, what did you do? He said, after 15 minutes, I told them he didn't say anything new. After the next 15 minutes, I said, he still didn't say anything new. After the third 15 minutes, I said, it doesn't look like he's going to be saying anything new. And when you finished, I said, I was right. So that's one type of class. Okay. There's another type of class that's kaftav aferach. In Yiddish, they call it kailachdik. Everything is perfect. It's like a puzzle. You go in, you go out. Not many, but there are classes. A beautiful structure, right? A beginning, a middle, an end. He knew what he wanted to say, which is a chiddish. The crowd knew what he wanted to say, which is equally a chiddish. Everybody knew what he wanted to say. He actually said something, you know. You could know what you want to say, but you have nothing to say. You have what to say, but you didn't know what you want to say. Both of those things are disasters. And you come out, and it's beautiful, and you come out, and everybody is satisfied, right? It's like Shabbos. They call it Shabbos Nachen Cholent. You know, the feeling Shabbos after the Cholent, if you didn't eat too much Cholent, and you didn't get too full on bread, and you went small, with, we went, you know, simply with the herring, there's a certain, now it's time to nap, Right? And then sometimes, once in a while, you sit at a class and the person knows what he wants to say and you know that he knows what he wants to say. But every word that's coming out of his mouth or her mouth and is going into you is, is triggering you, is shocking you, is overwhelming you, right? And at some point you just don't even understand it anymore. You don't understand it. Why? (laughs) Why? Because whenever you're introduced to truths that are beyond your comfort zone, they're going to shock the system. That's how it is. Now the question is, which classes do I want to sit by? By which feet do I want to sit? By what type of master? I want to sit by the feet of a master who says things that become are completely comfortable with me? Or do you want to sit at the feet of somebody who can take you out of your intellectual and emotional apathy and comfort zone? Right? Do you want to hear truth or do you want to hear what you want to hear? That's a question. God gives two types of classes. The whole world, life is a sheer. Hashem is giving a shir. And the shir recreates the world. But there's two types of shiurim. The shiurim, you look, you say, Ah, geschmack! Geschmack, a shir! Ah! Gewaldic. And then there are other shiurim in life. And those shiurim, they're not geschmack. I didn't understand a word you said. It's like over my head. You understand? 
Now we want, we like the shiurim that are gishmak. And we should, everybody should have those shiurim ad infinitum. But sometimes in life, right, it's also a shear. And this is like a shear that shocks my system. What do I do at such a moment? So here's three options. You're sitting at the class, you get angry at the teacher. <laughs> you get angry at the teacher. It's normal. He's playing around with your life. You get angry at him. Come on, make sense. That's one thing. Another thing is you quit the class. You're like, I'm done. You see the pitfall in both? The anger at the teacher was basically covering up the truth. I'm being challenged. I'm being challenged. I'm angry at you. The second thing, I quit, is the same thing. I'm being challenged. I quit. I don't want to be here. I'm going to go to different classes. That's what we do emotionally. Either I go into a place of anger and cynicism, or I go into a place where everything is so good and delicious and and wonderful and rosy. Life has never been better. But I'm doing the same thing. I'm detaching. I'm detaching. I'm detaching this way. I'm detaching that way. But and why am I detaching? Because it's painful. I understand. But what if I could sit and open myself up and say, you know what? <laughs> this is this is challenging every iota of my comfort zone. That's what it's doing. And stay open to it. Then you'll actually integrate something that is transcendent and that m- turns you into the person you're supposed to become. It's like uh, any of you lift weights to build muscle. What happens when you lift heavy weights? You tear your tissue. You simply tear your physical tissue. That's what you do. You dis- you're destroying your tissue. So you have nothing better to do. The answer is, it's going to rebuild. And then when it rebuilds, what's going to happen? You're going to be a muscle man. <laughs> so tearing the tissue... People do it voluntarily, even pay personal trainers $140 an hour to help them destroy their bodies. Why? Because the destruction is not destruction. You're not a crazy person. You want to be healthy. It's The pain is challenging my tissue. Yes, it's challenging. That's what exercise is. That's what stretching is. There's physical stretching. There's emotional stretching. There's spiritual stretching. And if you haven't stretched in 20 years, you know what stretching feels like? Anybody stretch this morning? Should we do stretching here together? Like in camp, you remember in the morning they would make you do exercise? The part that everybody loved? So stretching is hard. I don't want to stretch. Stop stretching my mind. Stop stretching. Who stretches you most in life? Usually your children. Your spouse can also. <laughs> There's a beautiful word from the Moir Vashemesh. You know what the Moir Vashemesh was? He was a student of Rebbe Elimelech of Lezhansk, the Noyem Elimelech. The Moir Vashemesh. So he writes, ah, <laughs> I saw it the first time, I'm like, this is good. It's a real chiddush of art. When Yaakov is deceived by Lavan, he gets Leia instead of Rachel. So he comes into Lavan and he says two words, Lomarimi Sonny, Parshas Vayetze, why did you deceive me? Right? So he says, there's another meaning. Rimi Sonny in Hebrew means deception. It also comes from the word truma. Laharim. What does Laharim mean? To lift up. Leia was much deeper than Rachel. Leia is Almadis Kasia. We learned many Maimonim from the Alter Rebbe, right? Leia is Almadis Kasia. Rachel, you remember the Maimonim? Rachel is Almadis Galia. Leia is Machshava. Rachel is Dibur. To have a connection with Rachel is powerful, but Leia is a whole different level. Leia means exhausted. Nila in Hebrew means exhausted. Rachel means a you, a sheep. Right? A relationship with Leah can be exhausting because she's very deep. She stretches you. So Yaakov says, Why did you lift me up like this? It's a taich. Huh? 
Ram, Ram Venisa, Ram Laharim, Truma, Laharim. Lamarim Isoni, why did you lift me up this way? I wasn't ready. You have to take me to the top of Mount Everest. I was a good groundhog digging pits in Munsi. What do you have to schlep me to the top of a mountain? Shakespeare once said, some people are born great, some people grow into greatness, and some people have greatness hurled upon them. Hurled. Zorkim et Huh? It's thrown at you. Who asked you to pass me the football? The quarterback. You could have chosen somebody else. You know I'm not in the mood. In many ways, to be a Jew means that you have greatness hurled upon you. It's just the nature of being a Jew. <laughs> right? But it's, it's, it's not always easy. I didn't ask. I want Rachel. So this is where you have to open yourself up to the mystery of Ein Saif. I'm now getting a shear that is, yeah, it's shocking the brain out of me. I don't know if I just made up an expression. Huh? You know English. Doesn't work really, right? Okay. It's challenging me. It's challenging me. So what do you do? Don't run away. Because what are you running away from? You're running away from yourself. Don't go into cynicism, because what you're doing with cynicism is you're further running away. Right? Cynical people are very afraid of life, so they're cynical. You understand? (laughs) What are they afraid of? You're afraid of disappointment. If I'm cynical, if you're cynical, you're never disappointed. Rabbi Isaac, you have some cynical friends. Emma's? Why are they cynical? Because their trust has been betrayed, right? Once your trust is betrayed, you become cynical. Rabbeinu B'chayi Parshas Kiseitze. Incredible idea that every soul chooses its life experiences before. In other words, I, cho- I choose the classes I'm going to attend <laughs> before I came down. My soul knows exactly. There's a GPS system, right? There's God's positioning system. That's why Israel created ways. There's a GPS that they say, that's not true, I did not choose this year. I didn't choose. On the surface, I didn't. Nobody does. And we daven every day, Don't give me nisayinus and don't give me bizayinus. On a conscious level, we didn't. On a, we didn't choose our journeys, but on a subconscious level, we chose everything. That's the word, because it's very high. <laughs> it's subconscious, it's superconscious. When you say the soul knows something, it doesn't mean that my brain is aware of it on a conscious level. It means that deep, deep, deep down, my soul is navigating my journeys. Listen, this is not an easy thing to say, and you have to be very sensitive, because if it's misconstrued, again, it can be very insensitive to tell somebody, oh, you chose it, Really? What else did I choose? You know, I ripped you off $100,000. Oh, you chose it. You should actually thank me. You're getting Olam Haba because of me. Oh, that's brilliant. So all these things can be so misconstrued and become instruments of abuse. You understand what I'm saying? It's a very, very deep idea. It's not a simple idea. The idea is that ultimately our soul is so aware of our own power and of our infinity, that the soul is not afraid, and the soul navigates that part of us that is divine into all of the dark places where we can bring in light. But I have to be ready to go into that place and that awareness. I may not be ready for that. I may first have to grieve. So to say this prematurely in the wrong way or to the wrong person in the wrong time can be cruel. I'm just saying that. You understand what I'm saying? Because the only way your soul will you'll find out why you had to go there is if you can first grieve for the pain that it caused you. If you skip that step, we speak about transforming darkness into light. The only way you can transform darkness into light is if you're ready to face the darkness. If you're not ready to face the darkness, you're not transforming anything into light. So you can't skip and say, oh, we transform it into light, it's light. No, 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 it's dark. 
to transform it, I have to be able to confront the darkness that then gets transformed. What was that word, Shabbos? Uh, spiritual uh, bypassing? Spiritual bypassing. You know what spiritual bypassing means? Spiritual bypassing means I want to bypass experience and emotion so I can get to a beautiful place. And then there is spiritual overdrive. You're on overdrive. You have to integrate. Everything has to be integrated. We don't like integration. But that's where it happens. That's where truth is. So to transform something, I have to be able to experience it. So just to say, your soul wanted to go to all these places. They're beautiful places. You're missing the point. They're not beautiful places. They're tough places. Yosef Atzadik was sold. He was thrown into a pit, not once but twice. There's nobody in the whole Tanakh who cries more than Yosef Atzadik. Do you know that? You could look in Chumash. The Torah speaks seven times about Adam never cries in Chumash. I'm sure he cried, but he never. We never see it. Noyach, he drank. He didn't cry. Leah never cries. It says her eyes were poor, were weak. So Chazal say because she cried. No, but it was not, not even once that it says she cries. Avram cries once by Sarah's death. Yitzchak never cries. Yaakov Avinu cries. He meets Rachel, he cries. And when the Yosef is lost, of course. Very few tears. Yosef HaTzadik doesn't stop crying. It's not the image you would get of him. You would think he's hard. He's tough. You know, he's the Prime Minister of Egypt. He handles his brothers very well. But he never stops crying. Why? And then when he meets his brothers... He says, don't get depressed. You didn't sell me. God, you didn't sell me. God sent me. So why are you crying? Only because he cried at every juncture can he really integrate the truth that God sent him. If not, it would have been fake. Oh, I'm in a pit? Of course, it's wonderful. I'm a Chabad Shliach. I was sent to open a Chabad house in pits. It's beautiful. It's so amazing. Why doesn't everybody want to join me? Nobody wants to be in pits with scorpions, really? It's such a beautiful place to open a Chabad center. You understand? Oh, I'm sold as a slave? Oh, it's wonderful. I'm in prison because I was accused of uh, violating a woman and I was innocent? That's a beautiful idea. The man doesn't stop crying because his life was filled with pain. But then he could turn to his brothers and say, you didn't sell me, God sent me. And it was integrated, it was real, it was authentic. Because God sent him to very tough places. He didn't send him to easy places. Just like some of the shluchim. (laughs) And by denying the toughness, I'm denying the opportunity, the journey, the realness of it. I'm like, I'm, I'm bypassing the truth. So I'm not transforming it. I mean, this is a short answer to your question. I can't say it's an answer to you. Huh? What was the question? You know, life is an answer to a question. So to appreciate life, you first have to know what's the question. If you don't know what's the question, <laughs> can't appreciate the answer. Okay, so uh, 9.30 a.m. we have a class here for women. Please tell your uh, esteemed spouses or daughters. And uh, the next class in this moment will be Thursday morning, 7.45 a.m. No, I'm not saying Avram didn't cry. I'm just saying the Chumash doesn't record. Chumash doesn't record anybody crying. It's the fact that Yosef, from all people, it records so many times that he cried. Is, uh, is, it's, it's telling us a story. That his emotions were very open. He was very vulnerable. He meets Binyamin, he cries. He meets his brothers, he cries. He goes to, they eat together and he goes into cry. He's always weeping. He meets his father and that's, yeah, I'm sure everybody cried. Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov cried more. I'm saying the fact that the Titus says it, it's making a point. Huh? But you can't even imagine Yehuda putting on this colored coat. I can see his baby. He was different. He had a different shlichus. How are you, Rebbe? Rev Hirsch says, I'm sure the Rub knows, the word, uh, tears, tears of the sweat. 
Yeah. Shvitz, the shvitz, the 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 tears are the sweat, the soul sweating. You're going with whom? Beautiful. For how long? We have a place there. Gavaldik, we're in Beautiful. To be with tremendous Hatzlocha. And we should follow you. Tears represents that something is overwhelming. I'm, I'm open to the fact that it's overwhelming. You know, it says in Zohar that when Rabbi Akiva used to learn Shir Hashirim, he would sob. Zol Gu'ain of Demoyes. Rabbi Akiva would, would cry. Shir Hashirim is not a tragic book. Shashidim is very uh, <laughs> alive and vibrant and emotional and sensual and it's all about a connection. So why was Rabbi Akiva crying? The answer is, huh? it's, it's overwhelming. You, know, you meet somebody you didn't meet in a while and you start crying. It's not necessarily sadness, but it's an expression. The Alter Rebbe calls it It's that which is, is it's above the moichen. It doesn't. It doesn't just. It doesn't just sit in my. Doesn't have a comfortable place in my brain. It's. It's overwhelming, either in a positive sense or chas v'shalom not. So my only way of, of of capturing it is I start crying. The tears represent the depth of it, the, the the magnitude of it, the sheer intensity and the drama of of being open to this experience, whatever it may be. It's one of the myths of society. Weak men don't cry. Strong, strong men cry. <laughs> Real men cry. Men who try to be men don't cry, but men who are men cry. Well, some of us, when we were babies, cry baby, cry baby, cry baby. So what do you do? We don't cry anymore. You had survivors, right, who stopped crying because they ran out of tears and some of them had to shut down their emotions. You couldn't survive either. You know, if you shut your water in the house, if you shut the water in the house, the switch, all the water shuts down, the leaks, but also the sinks and the bathtubs. Sometimes people who go through such horrific experiences, they can't afford to feel. It's too much. A lot of the Soviets, a lot of the Russian Jews shut down their emotions. There was a big therapist, uh, Rabbi Shimon Russell. He was in Lakewood for 32 years. Today he's in Yerushalayim. So he told me that when he started his career, he would meet a lot of Russians in Lakewood. And he says, erroneously, because he wasn't educated, he decided they're all as- they all have Asperger's. They all have Asperger's syndrome. Because he saw like they're like very cerebral, but like disassociated from their emotions. And he says it took him years to realize they're not Asperger's. They're just products of communism. They're products of communism. They're not, they don't have Asperger's. You understand? You could so misdiagnose. People who went through stuff, you just shut down the water, and then you could survive. So it's, we have to realize that. Now, some of us are being told to do that in our generation too. But it's not working. Sometimes you'll see grandparents or parents seeing their children emote in ways that are making them uncomfortable. And their motto was, don't, don't emote, just go further. So they want the children to do the same thing. It doesn't work today. It's creating terrible dysfunction today. When you're not letting people deal with their emotions. Today the avoid is to uh, work through emotions. We can't just uh, repress it anymore. But some people, it's like, no, that's, they think that's Judaism. <laughs> we create successful people by bypassing some people, they survived that way, and it's incredible what they did. But uh, you have to know the times. Like it says in Kahelas, there's a time for everything, right? There's a time to not to feel, and there's a time to feel. This is a time to feel. Not everybody agrees. Some people think that feelings are the worst thing that ever happened. But uh, I don't think it's the case. Yeah, in the Sefer Eiv, the three friends of Eiv chastise him that he doesn't have a Muna, right? I once gave a shear in the Muna series, and Hashem tells Eiv that your your friends all need atonement because they were dishonest. 
They were busy defending God. And Eoiv was honest. I was living 60 years. Really? 60 years, you never heard this. I don't know that the word is as medaf vainen. I think the word is, I have to be real, just real, authentic. I also remember the first time I saw my father cry. It was so unusual. I didn't know my father. I didn't know men. I didn't know males. Fakert. The opposite. It says in Zoyer, Rabbi Akiva used to cry when he learned Shia Shirim. The whole Tehillim is... is, is <laughs> the word Vayevk by David. After Avshalom's death, seven times, eight times, Avshalom, Avshalom, he didn't stop crying. David weeps a lot. Look through the Tanakh, yeah. David weeps constantly. And the whole Tehillim is full of tears. And when David Amalek even has to say goodbye to Yonason, Ad David Higdil. They both wept. And you ever read David's eulogy on Yonason? On Shaul HaMelech? David? <laughs> David was a warrior, but he cried. But it says Vayev many times. In Tanakh, yeah. Shmuel, Gibakog, Echadavaisen. Oh, in Tehillim. But that's a nevuah about Golas Bovel. My tears have become substitutes for my bread day and night. You know, when somebody cries, their appetite goes away. So David HaMelech says, instead of eating bread, I wept. There's a medrash that after the story with Bathsheba, David fasted for 22 years, and he cried, and at night he would eat a piece of bread soaked in his tears. You know that? That for hoisali dimosi lechem yoimam valayla. Emes, emes, emes. If religion is not based on authenticity, it's worthless. The Gemara says in Yuma that Daniel and Yirmiya deleted two words about Hashem, Hakibur and Hanoira. Why? They saw the Khurban, they said he's not strong. Frag the Gemara, Moshe said, Hakibur and Hanoira, they're fighting Moshe. The hast, they knew that Hashem is MS, they're not going to say a lie. For them, this would be a lie, they're not going to say it. The hast, the Anshiknesis Agdoila, for them it would be inauthentic. When I say words, I say, no, for them, they experience the words. It's inauthentic. I'm not there. I can't say I give a I'm unbelievable Gemara. Yuma Samachtas. They brought it back. Why? They said, God's strength does not always express in strength. It's sometimes expressed in silence. Micha moicha ba'elim. Elim is be'ilmim. Sometimes he's mute. That's a different type of strength. In other words... There's no one model of strength. Sometimes his strength is that he watches and does nothing. It's a very powerful idea. That not that they're denying the pain. They're saying redefine what gibber means, what noira means. Noira doesn't always mean you're awesome because you, you overpower the world. Sometimes you don't. The opposite. You completely go into hiding. The ability for infinity to be finite is as powerful as the ability for infinity to be infinite. You understand? The ability for Hashem to be mitzamtzim himself, to hold back, is as powerful as the ability to express. As we know, sometimes it's much harder to be silent <laughs> than it is to express yourself. True? You're sitting at a meeting and you have to... Shh, right? Your child says something, your spouse... Your boss, not easy, right? So sometimes it's coming from strength. You have a long-term vision. You're strategic. 
It's very powerful. Silence is powerful. It's not always because you're afraid. Long term. You have to know when to be quiet. Right? Yeah. 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 Mashtuke betray. Huh? In Varsha, they made a, a, a yeshiva before the war. It's called Torah's Chayim. For Reb Chaim Soloveitchik. His son-in-law became the Rosh Hashiva of Glixman. Reb Hirsch Glixman. So they wanted to appoint a Rosh Hashiva. So they asked the Briskerov. Because it was a, a, a yeshiva for his father's name and legacy. So he said he doesn't think he's uh, right. They so said, but he was a Talmud of your father. And they, they say when he speaks, he says over, he knows what to say from your father. So he said, Eves was Suzogin, yeah, but Evesin was Nish Suzogin. You understand? He knows what to say, that's true. But he doesn't know what not to say. Says the British get off. Eves was Suzogin, Evesin was Nish Suzogin. But Afnish Zogin, eh? Elder the Maidad. Mashtuke betray. Mila Besela, if Moshe would have spoken to the rock, Mashtuke betray, Elder the Maidad would have been silent because he would go into Eretz Yisrael. From who? That's the Megal Amukas, no? That's the Megal Amukas. Yeah. Lomari Misane. Favasas the Ma'uvgahaybe. Yeah. Yeah. I'll build a nice mishpacha with Rachel. I'll be a shepherd. I'll make a living. <laughs> and everything changed. Sometimes you're in a marriage, right? And the marriage challenges you to look up. You have to be able to say, I was uplifted. It's not, it's not easy for everybody. The wife picks you up. Just like a desires. The olive only gives out its true juice, its oil, when you crush it. So it's a very, it's a painful reality, right? When you crush that olive, a different level of liquid comes out. Yeah. Wine too, you got to press... No. Who doesn't go through pain? You know somebody? Who doesn't go through pain? You know somebody? A hippie got the Shodavach campaign. A hippie got the pain. You understand? Somebody once said, What's the definition of consciousness? The annoying time between naps. Probably from the better definitions of consciousness. If you can nap it away, you're good. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.